0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to get more people into God's word and get more out of the word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. Storms are often used metaphorically. People will talk about the storms of life and you feel seasons in life that are more turbulent or uncertain. And we compare those to storms. Well, today we're going to see a story about a real storm actual storm that will help prepare you to have courage in the storms of life that you might face. And we're going to see this today in Acts chapter 27, where we see the the account of Paul's journey to Rome, particularly the voyage that ends in shipwreck. And what we see here is an example of courage. We even see an example of leadership from the Apostle Paul as he goes through this ordeal. Uh, One writer put it that Paul begins this chapter as a prisoner on the ship and ends as the ship's captain. Well, that doesn't officially happen, but you can see where that's coming from, that Paul clearly shows himself to be a leader on this ship. And I think it's really because of the courage that he had. Let's walk through the story together. In Acts 27, it starts that they're sailing to Italy. So Paul has appealed to Caesar there, and he was in the town of Caesarea, which you can still see the remains of today there along the coast, a little bit north of Tel Aviv in Israel, and so they set sail from there, and their ultimate destination is uh, Rome, but, but you see that they go kind of along the coast, they come out towards Cyprus, and they eventually come along Crete, and if you're familiar, those are two islands there in the Mediterranean Sea, and it comes to a point where it's starting to get dangerous to, to sail, and it says because the fast was already over, that's referring to the Day of Atonement, that's a day that happens in the fall every year, and so what it's saying is winter is coming, And so the weather is getting less and less favorable for them to sail. And Paul says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in the majority decided to put out to sea from there on chance that they somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. so I mean this kind of makes sense hey, what is this uh what is this preacher guy, this prisoner what does he know about sailing? We're we going to stick to our own opinions and maybe there was a factor. Hey, if we stay here, that's not going to be good for our ship because this harbor isn't a good harbor to spend the winter in what well, we've got to get at least a little farther. So they're not just pressing ahead completely trying to make it all the way to Rome. They're trying to get to this city called Phoenix, not in Arizona, but they're on that island of Crete because it has a better harbor and they can spend the winter there. But along the way, th- this wind comes called the Northeaster and it completely blows them away from the island of Crete. And what we can see by the end is that they then spend 14 days, at least in this storm, storm-tossed, uh, jettison- jettisoning things from the boat. Uh, this is an intense couple weeks. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine being on a boat in a storm for days and, days, and they're not eating. Uh, that is an intense, frightening, fearful situation. Uh, and that's where we see then Paul really step up to be a leader. And it says in verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be as exactly as I have been told. But we must run around on some island. So there you see Paul, and he does say, I told you so. I don't think that's something we should never say, but I do think he he doesn't uh, twist the knife as he makes that point. He, He doesn't overdo that. And even he follows up the, I told you so with encouragement and with promise that might be instructive for us, especially the people that you lead. There might be a time where you have to say, Hey, I told you this would happen, but here's some encouragement. And Paul's encouragement really is based on a promise of God this angel appears and tells Paul he will stand before Caesar, and that everyone with him is going to live and that encourages Paul, and Paul uh, wants to pass that on to others. he says, "So take heart, men, for I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told, and that is a way we should encourage others as well that we should encourage others to take heart with our faith in God because we believe it will be as exactly as I have been told. And that's where you might say, well, an angel didn't appear to me last night to give me some promise. Or maybe you think, well, maybe I should start looking out for that kind of thing. And that's where I think often we overlook the promises that God has given us in the scriptures. We have so much about God, so much about his character, so much about what he promises us in the Bible, that that is where we should start. And we should encourage others by saying, hey, guys, I have faith in God because look at what God has said, and I believe it's going to be exactly as he has said. I think that really is the key to this courage in the storm. I'm trusting God and his promises, and I'm seeking to encourage others with the same realities. And then it says when the 14th night had come and they were being driven across, they start to suspect that they are nearing land because the water is getting more shallow. And some of the the sailors want to escape the ship. But Paul tells the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. This is where I guess you could say Paul has the whole, I'm the captain now line because he, he is giving instruction now to the centurion. And look at this though. The centurion and the soldiers are listening to him. He has, and I guess you could say, won their respect. He's won this role as captain because of his courage, because of his faith, and because of his character. And Paul is now urging them to take food, uh, that they would have strength, and again, reminding them of that promise. And he's breaking bread, he's giving thanks to God, and there's 276 persons in this ship. I mean, look at the people that Paul is now, leading and actually causing them to eat because of the courage that he has uh, in God. And then they notice when day comes that they do see uh, land. They see a bay with a beach and uh, they're they're getting ready to to try to make it to land. They want to just run ashore. They want to, hey, we're just going to run the ship right into that beach, but they hit a reef. And so the, the ship is stuck on the reef, but the surf is now starting to break apart the ship. So the soldiers, they want to kill the prisoners. Uh, but the centurion, because I, clearly Paul has now some respect in his eyes, he wants to save Paul. And, and so he, he stops them from killing the prisoners and everyone makes it safely to land, So this is an incredible story, a great chapter in the book of Acts, but I hope it gives you courage and I hope that it even gives you courage in such a way where when you find yourself in a storm and if you're surrounded by others, you find yourself leading, pointing other people to the promises of God, having faith in God yourself and really giving that courage, letting that courage be contagious to others in that time. Let's go back now to the Old Testament to the prophet Micah, and you're seeing that lots of these prophetic books are coming fast and furious now, and even uh, they would speak uh, in, the, in the sense of the Hebrew Bible of the former prophets and the latter prophets or the later prophets, and we see the former prophets, we think of people like Samuel or uh, like Elijah that are more in the books, the, the historical books that we think of, but now we are seeing more of these prophetic books, and, and many of them happening around the same time we've uh, seen Isaiah, we've looked at Amos, and now we're looking at Micah 1 through 4, and it puts itself in some of the same kings in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We just read about Jotham, we'll, we'll be getting into Ahaz and Hezekiah here before too long, but we see Micah, and if you just look at the first verse, that helps you, at least for this book, get a good sense of what's going on. It's Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he will address both the Northern kingdom of Israel centered in Samaria and the Southern kingdom of Judah centered in Jerusalem. And like many of the other prophets, we see this mixture of judgment and a warning of judgment while also seeing hope and a a, an idea of future restoration. Uh, we, we see that really in chapter one. We, we see the judgment, the coming uh, destruction, and you see he, he mentions again specifically Samaria, he mentions Jerusalem. We see more of just him describing the wickedness, and in chapter three, even specifically uh, going after the prophets and the rulers, the people that should have been the leaders, and they weren't doing their job. And we get to the end of chapter three. therefore. Because of you, really talking to the rulers there, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Uh, Destruction is coming because of sin, because of your lack of leadership. But then, chapter four is where we start to see again prophecies of. The future, and I believe even still yet to be fulfilled. Speaking of the mountain of the Lord being exalted, and many nations going up to the mountain of the Lord. And again, we see these pictures of peace that they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Well, when war is still uh, pretty common in the headlines, this hasn't happened yet. And it speaks of every man sitting under his own vine and his own fig tree. Uh, That's a picture of peace and stability. And then you see this uh, comment really from the prophet, uh, speaking of God's people, uh, a beautiful thought there in Micah 4, 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever. And then it even speaks of this time where the kings are going to gather around uh, Jerusalem, but it seems, no, he has actually gathered them for a harvest. And that matches up even with what we see in in Revelation, that people will come to war against the Lord in Jerusalem, but they will not succeed. That's actually God's harvest, God's judgment upon them. So as we wait for those future things to be fulfilled, uh, let's be people that show the courage of the Apostle Paul, because we're trusting. In the promises of God and encouraging others to do the same. And no matter what is going on in the world, we are people that are saying, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.